Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. As Missouri lawmakers continue on in the 2023 legislative session, things are starting to get more contentious, especially in the Missouri House. State Representative Barbara Pfeiffer has a lot of thoughts about why the acrimony is occurring early in session, and she joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about which issues are causing the most commotion. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. My promise to St. Louis was that I would do the absolute most for each and every person, starting with those who have the very least. What I wanted to do was look and see what other states are doing. We have to be willing to change those laws, that they are balanced and they affect everybody equal. As somebody that grew up in the St. Louis area, North St. Louis County, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. We gotta find long-term solutions to make government better, but also to be able to provide services to people. I don't wanna leave that federal money that we've been leaving all these years on the table. We need to be spending this money to take care of Missourians. I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in Jefferson City, she covers the wild and wacky world of Missouri state politics for St. Louis Public Radio. Uh, Sarah Kellogg. And our special guest today, she represents, I, I, uh, I think, mainly the Kirkwood area, but probably a bunch of other great cities in St. Louis County. Kirkwood and Glendale and a little bit of West County on the other side of 270, west of 270. And I'm Barbara Pfeiffer. So are you Eric Schmidt's state representative, by the way? Yes, I am. I, I'm sure. McCaskill. Oh, wow. There's a lot of things to talk about. How do you think the 2023 General Assembly session has gone so far? Wow. I stand back and I am appalled and amazed at uh, who we want to be in Missouri, evidently, and what we want the world to think about us in Missouri. Every day when I come in, I see both in the chamber and as I walk from my apartment over to the Capitol building inscribed all over this building, the well-being of the people or the population shall be the supreme law. And that has to be front and center all the time. What does it mean to talk about the well-being of the people? And instead, we are looking for groups to vilify, to say are outside the fold, to cut away from services, to say you're not wanted here, and to generally be hateful toward. And that's not the state that I love. There was some optimism at the beginning of session that Democrats would be able to get along with Republicans primarily because they had good relationships with the floor leader and speaker. That was kind of the first day, you know, vibes, you know, has that come to pass? Uh, I will say I didn't particularly 
share that optimistic point of view. Uh, I believe that people can be very cordial towards each other and have very distinctive points of view and fight for them. And certainly that's what within the realm of what politics is all about. Um, this is a whole different level. And I, I, you know, I'm not privy to the thinking of the leadership. I certainly don't know why uh, the leadership of the House believes that it's a good idea to begin with things are going that are simply going to divide Missourians. Uh, it seems to me that we should be working very, very, very hard to find common ground and to strengthen our state. We have a lot of very serious problems in Missouri, and we would be far better off if we worked to find out where we can agree and to build on those points of commonality. Speaking of kind of common ground, Governor Meg Parsons' State of the State address had a lot of ideas that were both lauded by Democrats, kind of Democrats would stand up first and Republicans would join. You know, do you think there's been a disconnect between what Governor Parson has honed in on during his State of the State address and what lawmakers have actually focused on in these, like this first month of session or so? Well, certainly. I, then there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Uh, it may be temperamental in some some ways. Also, Governor Parson is in, in his last two years of uh, being part of Missouri politics, and uh, I'm sure that he wants to go out on a good note. And you know, every year, approximately a quarter of the uh, House of Representatives is brand new, and you have people coming in, and they're just starting out, and they want to make their mark in a different way. Uh, people who are vying for leadership, and they're trying to make their mark as well. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of factors involved. Uh, I think also, because a budget's very abstract, a lot of people have a hard time translating uh, those numbers to really a purpose statement of who we are. They, we don't see how that's a very tangible expression of, of who we are as a state. So one of the issues that seems to be gaining a lot of legislative momentum and getting a lot of attention is just these slew of bills dealing with what I'm just going to generalize as LGBTQ rights. And what Republicans want to do is bar transgender girls from playing girls sports. They want to deny gender affirming care to minors. And there's also been legislation that's been championed by Senator Mike Moon that would limit discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity to licensed mental health professionals. Sarah, I want to make sure I'm describing that correctly. Yes, it would basically bar any discussion of gender identity or sexual orientation in schools unless it was with those list uh, the, the profession you listed and also has to have parent consent. So... Do you think that these issues are gaining more traction than than your other couple of years in the legislature that you've seen? And if so, why? They seem to be. Uh, the whole issue about trans children, uh, I will say I have very personal interest in this. I have a grandchild who's trans and lives in another state and affirms and, and receives gender affirming care. So a huge question for me is if we pass these laws, can my family come visit us in Missouri? I don't know. Is the fact that uh, my grandchild receives gender affirming care uh, a, a reason to arrest his parents on a felony if they visit the state of Missouri? 
let me really think about these laws very hard at all. Uh, what you come up with is fascistic authoritarian rules, which are more than concerning. They are an abomination and something that any any thinking person should wholeheartedly reject. Um, if you want to look at it very pragmatically, how is the state going to attract people who are educated to come and live in the state of Missouri? People aren't going to come. How is Washington University in St. Louis going to continue to be one of the top-notch medical facilities if its endocrinology department is destroyed? Who's, who's going to come and be a researcher? How are we going to research cancer? How are we going to uh, do the things with the human genome we've, we've been doing? We're trying to destroy science in our state. And, it, and it's a wedge. It looks like it's just about trans kids, but it's not. It's so much more than that. And then just the hate that's involved when you think about uh, why in the world would you pick on a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old and their families? What kind of people are you? Who would do that to a family? If the well-being of the people shall be the supreme law, why are we destroying families? I know families that have moved away from Missouri already and more will be leaving. And then, of course, if the people say, well, good riddance. Well, you know what? They're part of our family. They're, they're Missourians. We're not thinking about their well-being. Um, the, these laws are just simply loathsome from start to finish. Uh, the issues about uh, what's, what's dubbed don't say gay, uh, I was reading just part of a at one of the hearings and somebody asked well could a teacher say that uh she was going to have a gender reveal party and they said well maybe you just shouldn't talk about that is it going to be a felony if a, a teacher says i have three daughters and two sons can i say i have a husband those are all gender issues exactly what are we talking about and i really have no answer it just seems absurd it feels like we are living in a surreal farce. You brought up Washington University. You know, there was that article in a conservative publication for the woman who used to work at the university's transgender clinic, and she made a host of allegations that really seem to have kind of ramped up the legislative action. I mean, that came out, I believe it was last week. Things are getting heard and passed now this week. You know, what do you think of those allegations? And do you think this will affect the course of the debate over, over trans rights? I have absolutely no standing to make any kind of opinion about the allegations. I have never been to the endocrinology clinic. I do not know the person. I don't know the people who work there. So I do trust processes by and large, not always, but um, I think that we all have to wait and see. Uh, it would be unfortunate if we rush to pass laws based on allegations, but I suspect that's what's going to happen. Republicans claim that their constituents are supporting what they're doing kind of on this front. Do you think that there's a disconnect between Democratic stances on this and public sentiment? Or are you, you know, are you hearing anything about this when you're canvassing yourself? Well, certainly we are a diverse state in my district. Uh, I, I hear Lots of people both talking to me. We get some phone calls, certainly get emails. Very concerned about the anti-trans and anti-LGBTQIA kinds of rhetoric. But that's my district. And, you know, it's 36,000 people. I, I am probably, you know, 
I would not doubt Republicans who say that they hear other things from their constituencies. But, you know, human rights aren't based on whether or not a majority of the people agree. That That's not the basis of human rights. Human rights are because we're all people and we all basically have rights. So we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. But yesterday, a slew of black lawmakers and activists from around the state rallied at the Capitol. Um, They were decrying legislative efforts to allow the governor to appoint a special prosecutor. This is targeted at Kim Gardner. Let's let's not let's not even pretend that this is not this is clearly based off Kim Gardner. They are also upset over attempts to undo what's called local control, which allows the St. Louis mayor's office to oversee the St. Louis Police Department. Um, What do you think of these two GOP priorities and and kind of the reaction among your African-American colleagues to both of these things? I think that the reaction of my African-American colleagues is the same reaction that I have. I think that... Kim Garner was elected twice by her constituency and that elections matter. I also believe that there are problems within the prosecuting attorney's office. And one of the things that I wonder about, and again, I'm not privy to this answer, uh, what kind of help has the prosecuting attorney's office been offered? Instead of just jumping to saying we're going to take away the the effects of an election or uh, we're going to abrogate what is a legislative decision, i.e. you're, you're a prosecuting attorney, to an executive decision um, from the governor's office. Uh, has anybody reached out? Has the legislature, legislature offered a, a budgetary item? It's so interesting to me. There would be budgetary money made available to this kind of alternative system of prosecuting attorney, but there's no alternative money made available to the prosecuting attorney office currently. So well, why is that? Why wouldn't we first see what we could do with the elected head of the prosecuting attorney's office? It um, reeks, as far as I'm concerned, of, of racism. You, you kind of alluded to this, but... There has been widespread criticism over Circuit Attorney Gardner's management of that office, even from people who I would classify as, quote unquote, progressive in St. Louis. Isn't this bill kind of a natural consequence of her inability to manage her own office as as well as she as she should? Oh, I'm just sitting here thinking of all the egregious stuff that happens in the state of Missouri <laughs> in various places. <laughs> No, I understand. I understand that. Like, for example, like the the former chief of police of Louisiana, Missouri, is was charged with a crime. So I get that it there there's bad stuff that happens elsewhere. Right. Yes. But I do want you to address my question. Like, there are again, there are legitimate issues with how she's managing that office. Absolutely. And so, what did we do? We jumped to take away the authority of the prosecuting attorney's office. Whereas, you know, is it. Oh, man, I wish I had it in front of me. Christian County, which would be ironic, where the Agape School is, uh, and the judge there that just seems to be 
dragging his feet, to put it nicely, over um, making sure that kids who are in these terrible boarding schools are actually protected and they're not being exploited. And before you continue, it's actually in Cedar County. I just looked it up. I just want to make that. I just want to make sure we correct that on the fly. But continue. What happens when you don't have your phone in front of you? All right. and yet we're not saying, oh, we need to let make legislation for Cedar County to correct this error. Um, so when we jump there, you got to look and say, why is that happening? Now, if there are problems in the prosecuting attorney's office, and you know, I obviously there are problems with crime in Missouri and crime in St. Louis. There can be a lot of reasons for that, but it still has to be taken care of. The first step is to say, how can we help make it better? And then go from there to other things. But I don't think that intermediate step has been taken, has it? You know, a lot of Democrats from St. Louis, you know, argue on the idea of crime that uh, stringent gun control is needed to stem crime. I know that there was an amendment that failed that would ban youth from basically having a gun without parental supervision or just adult supervision on public land that did not go anywhere. You know, it doesn't seem like maybe gun bills like that would pass any muster in a very Republican legislature. So should Democrats offer up other solutions besides gun restriction that, you know, in to address crime? And what do you think those should be? Well, I think Democrats offer up all kinds of issues. Uh, limiting access of guns from people who are not adequately prepared to have control of a gun has to be part of the package. I have seven grandchildren between the ages of four and 16, and none of them should go around carrying a gun. I mean, if you really think about it, again, it it seems extreme and it seems ridiculous, but this is evidently the law in Missouri. My four-year-old granddaughter could carry an automatic rifle. Again, it's it's theater of the absurd. What what are we doing to ourselves if that's legal? Um, but we we have all kinds of gun control or responsible gun use measures all the time, and none of them go anywhere, including mandatory locking up of guns, having gun safes, um, keeping gun trigger locks on your guns. Um, I'm very much in favor of the uh, the laws that can temporarily take away guns when somebody is having a mental health crisis. Uh, issues about uh, guns in the hands of people who've been domestic abusers. All of those things are issues that Democrats have and continue to offer, and they don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this quick break with State Representative Barbara Pfeiffer. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East, we put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Representative Barbara Pfeiffer. She is a Democrat, and you live in Kirkwood, by the way. Is that Am I getting your city where you reside correctly? District 90, Kirkwood. Yes. Thankfully, I didn't get that wrong. 
So you are on the House Transportation Committee, which seems to be a very hot topic in Missouri politics right now. Um, there probably, I would say, the governor's major announcement during his state of the state was that he wants to spend almost $900 million to widen I-70. What do you think of that idea? I think it's probably a good one. Uh, certainly, that is you know a major, major traffic artery through our country. Uh, Missouri has, I believe, the, the seventh largest uh, highway system in the country, just because we're here in the middle of the country. And uh, if you've driven St. Louis to Kansas City very often, you know it can be kind of hair-raising. <laughs> so I, I think it's probably a good idea. Um, so some left-leaning residents in St. Louis have panned the idea and argued the state should invest more in public transportation. What do you think of that? Well, in my best world, I would say absolutely. I think that we don't probably live in my best world. And given the reality, one thing about passenger trains that I think a lot of people miss is population density. And, you know, we, for example, Missouri is about the size of England. And we have 6 million people and they have 55 million people. So you know, tra train systems live and breathe with uh, population density, and we just don't have that kind of density in Missouri. You know, I, I was talking with Congressman Sam Graves, who is the chairman of the House Transportation Committee on a federal level, and I brought up what Sarah mentioned, that a lot of people in St. Louis and Kansas City saw Parsons' announcement was like, eh, I'm not that excited about widening a highway. I'd rather have more money for public transportation. He had this to say, which I actually found to be pretty interesting, and I want to play this to you and have you uh, kind of uh, jump off of it. You know, eventually it may go by train or it may go by plane, but sooner or later it's got to go by truck. It's got to get to to the uh, uh, to the end user by a by a truck, and that's down our highways, and we want to make sure that those are uh, as safe as uh, as they can be. So there's different dollars, there's different silos of dollars, and and uh, to be quite honest with you, um, public transit gets a lot of money. Uh, from the uh, from the federal government. And we need to make sure that we have uh, other priorities as well. Now, the reason I found that clip interesting is I-70 is often like talked about as like, oh, I need to get to Columbia to see, you know, Mizzou game, or I want to go to Kansas City to see the Chiefs parade or, you know, eat barbecue. Um, or go see Bruce Springsteen on Saturday. Not like those are my plans or anything. Continue. <laughs> But it, it, it does seem to be a pretty vital thoroughfare for interstate commerce, not only in Missouri, but the entire country. Uh, what I don't I'm not getting from your answers that you disagree with Congressman Graves, but I'd like you to kind of touch on that point. Well, sure. I mean, he's absolutely right. And what's the purpose of interstate highways? It's national security. They were begun uh, the brainchild of President Eisenhower. And, and begun in the 1950s when I was just a twinkle in my parents' eyes. Um, and, and the purpose was to create a system by which uh, our military could be prepared from coast to coast without having to ship things or fly things as well. But, um, you know, think of all the heavy kinds of equipment that we have that goes by, by truck. Uh, and 
so I mean, there's multi tiers of of needs, but yeah, that that's really was what Representative Graves said. It kind of piggybacks uh, piggybacks on what I was trying to get across about. Um, you know, we have this very large system of highways in Missouri because of the interstate nature of the traffic that we we get. Um, yeah, one of the one of the interesting things to me is that we have a lot of users who are not Missouri residents. And so we get a lot of road use from non-Missouri residents. And according to our state constitution, we can't have toll roads, which kind of adds a whole other flavor to this because then um, we don't really have a good system of user fees for the people who are uh, putting the most use on the roads. The Missouri legislature has generally not funded public transportation on any significant level. I think last year might have been the first year where there was actually, I think it was, can't exactly remember, but there was a significant amount invested in public transportation. You know, why do you think it kind of took until last year to have that? And do you think, you know, anything can be done to kind of keep that going? Well, last year we um, passed the gas tax. So that's two my, two sessions ago, that's right? right? Two yeah. sessions, yeah. Mm-hmm. Last year to me is like two years, yes. <laughs> um, but so the money is just beginning to come in. But also then we begin to see the federal money and we're starting to think about how we're going to be using that federal money um, in different ways, that, which has opened up some funding that we didn't have otherwise. And so, I mean, really, you know, there are a lot of issues going forward about how tax money will be used, but we're we're still kind of in this period where we have more money than we had anticipated because of the federal funding from the COVID money. So let's shift one more time. We've been doing a lot of shifting, and you've been very patient with us, Representative. But I want to talk about um, efforts to make constitutional amendments harder to pass and the initiative petition process just frankly more difficult. So there has been something that has passed out of the House that raises the threshold to pass a constitutional amendment from a simple majority to 60 percent. There have been a lot of other ideas, too. Um, Where do you see this issue going over the next few months? To the voters. You anticipate it passing the Senate? I think there's a very good likelihood it'll go to the voters. Um, I am miffed about it. I think that probably it won't pass. But uh, one of the things that really irritated me about it is the, the legislature is using a simple majority to put a vote in front of the people that would require a 60% majority. So in the future, we can continue to ask constitutional questions to the people of Missouri with a 50% plus one majority, whereas the people of Missouri have to have a 60%. I've heard Henderson said it would apply to both legislators and the people. You don't think you don't agree with that? It didn't look like that when I read it. So that's good to know. But I but I, think you, I, I think I understand your overall point. Your overall point is that it, when this gets put on the ballot, and I agree with you, I think this is going on the ballot. But it would only need a simple majority to be put into the Constitution. And then after that, everything has to be 
60%. So it could pass with 50.0001%, not 60%. That's kind of what you're trying to say here, right? Yes, but also then this disparity. Yes, if it, it, it if it continues, and that's a, a good thing for me to to find out because that's the way I read it. See, and I read it differently. So okay. yeah, I guess we can see kind of yeah the that's, point of like whether a legislatively brought one would require a higher threshold than the right. voter one. And I guess that's why we have courts of appeal. <laughs> you know, there's been complaints from Democrats about the language. I mean, the fact that the first thing on this potential ballot language is that only citizens that are residents of Missouri can vote in elections. You know, there's contention that it's ballot candy to trick voters into approving this constitutional threshold. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, of course it is. And secondly, that's politics. I don't like it, but, you know, I people do that all the time. Let's be real here. Clean Missouri had all sorts of ballot candy. They they advertised about how it was going to get rid of lobbyist gifts and make very marginal changes to campaign finance law. But everybody knew that was about state legislative redistricting. So I definitely understand why Democrats are upset with that. But Democrats writ large supported Clean Missouri, which was a ballot candy bonanza. So it seems like you can't really decry one and and accept the other. That's kind of my observation. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. And and I I haven't gotten particularly exercised by it either. It's yeah. And you know, I'm actually old enough to remember when Democrats would at least grumble around the edges about the IP initiative and the 50% margin. <laughs> <laughs> back when the Democrats were in control. But, you know, even then I was in favor of the 50%, I think, for at a state level. That's probably, you know, the state constitution is just a different beast from the federal constitution. It's much more of a micromanaged document than our federal constitution is. Uh, you know, kind of to bring up that point of of Democrats grumbling about it too, you know, there, I've talked to some, and this is mainly Democrats about it, but the idea of Voters voting for these more progressive policies and then turning around and maybe still voting for representatives that maybe don't agree with that. You know, you see an RRD next to the name, you stick to the party, but you're voting for minimum wage increases or Medicaid. Is shutting off that spigot of being able to pass things through the initiative petition, do you see that as a situation where it could really backfire for Republicans and say, well, you're not voting for it. I'm just going to vote you out instead where you had kind of this other outlet? It's a big speculative question, but I, I've heard it an, enough times now that I'm going to ask about it. Well, and you know, the great thing about speculation is it's speculation. Uh, totally. <laughs> we, we, there's no way to know the answer to that. Oh, I don't know. I just don't. I don't think that it would be good public policy to say, well, we're going to make it harder to do an IP so that people will get fed up and then they'll throw people out of, of office. You know, the reality is we have term limits. So within eight years, whoever you vote for is going to be gone, even in the best case scenario. And it doesn't seem to change things too much. So I I would guess most people don't make a really clear line between a particular policy and the party of their state representative or senator. Yeah. And I have always believed that the reason these initiative petitions are passing is that the pro sides are well-funded, well-organized, and have really good messaging that is often put on TV. The con sides are always underfunded, 
and don't often have money for TV ads. That happened with Medicaid expansion. That happened with this marijuana initiative. Um, that happened with with the bid to save right to work. That's what's the issue here. Like, well, I was say in twenty twenty one, the con side and Clean Missouri came back with a dirty Missouri, muddy Missouri, whatever. They were the pro side that time, and you know they they flipped the message, and then they won. Yeah, that was 2020, but they were way underfunded compared to the con side. Like the people trying to preserve clean Missouri had millions of dollars at their disposal. Um, But I I want you to I I think that's what the issue is here. Like if Republicans are so mad about these initiatives passing, they should run better opposition campaigns to it. We've talked about a lot about this on the show. And that's a part just like Sarah's point hasn't been brought up. I don't think this point has been fleshed out very much. If you don't want marijuana legalized, raise a few million dollars and defeat it. You know, usually I'm in favor of the IPs, not always. So I don't particularly want them to <laughs> raise money to defeat them. But, uh, yeah, uh, I was in a conversation last summer with folks who ran the uh, initiative petition campaign in Kansas in in which actually was a no, a con, was in favor of preserving abortion rights and bodily autonomy. And uh, they they were the winning side, but they spent $10 million in, in Kansas, which is a lot smaller market, you know, TV market and everything than Missouri. It was just stunning how much money that cost. There has been some speculation that there is more intensity to try and make it harder for constitutional amendments to pass. Because there is a widespread belief that in November 2024, there's going to be some sort of ballot item that legalizes abortion again. And they want to try to pass something in August that would make that more difficult to pass. What do you think about that? Well, if I were them, that's what I would do. I mean, people aren't dumb. Sure. Getting it, and you kind of talked about it going to the people, getting it through the legislature is one thing, getting it past the people is another. I mean, I come from covering Arkansas politics, which uh, Jason has repeatedly said, you know, the the, the liberal utopia that is Arkansas politics. Um, they it's had it's not, by the way. I've been sarcastic this whole time. <laughs> really? Uh, but uh, covering I'm it, <laughs> um, you know, they had a, a ballot measure last year and it failed at 60% and they were going to try to do the exact same thing that this is doing. Do you feel like you kind of have the downhill advantage as far as messaging on 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 when this eventually does probably go to voters. I have no idea. I'm, I appreciate the way you, you think I know all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, I hope so. Uh, I think that most people want to maintain the rights that they have. And, and why would you vote to take away your own right? It doesn't make sense to me. Well, Representative, thank you so much for coming back on Politically Speaking. Politically Speaking, by the way, is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And you can read all of our stories, all of our political stories, by going to stlpr.org. Representative, how could people find you on the World Wide Web where you want to be found? Well, uh, votepfeiffer.com is my website. 
and I do have a capital report every week. All you have to do is uh, email my office, uh, which is barbara.pfeiffer at house.mo.gov. And if you look on um, my Facebook page, I'm on Facebook. And uh, that's about it. And thank you very much. And thank you very much. And until next time, so long. From St. Louis Public Radio, this is Politically Speaking. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.